Welcome to the Prodigal and the Priest podcast, a podcast about faith, sports, and two friends from different cultures. Here are your hosts, Joey Scansella and Father Paul Bechter. I feel like we're uh, perpetually lying to people. Yeah. Just the last few weeks have been like, hey, here's Marseille. Hey, here's my <laughs> wife. And here is our pastoral year seminarian, Greg. Greg, Hi. welcome. Welcome. Tell yeah. uh, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you're from, what you do, yeah. all of that. So my name is Greg Scatini. I'm a seminarian here at St. Anne's. I'm, God willing, I'll be ordained in 2023. I was born in New Jersey, so we Shout have that out. in common. Yeah. Um, my last name, as you might be able to guess, indicates Italian heritage, so mm-hmm. we have that in common. Um, We're just like brothers from another mother. Yeah. That's yeah. almost that, the same that's mother. In fact. Almost the same Italian mother. <laughs> Wait, are both your parents Italian? No, my mom is German. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. But you're, they both grew up in Jersey. They grew up in uh, New York, so oh. yeah. Like I the mean, actual, you know, Jersey is the parking lot for New York. <laughs> All right, Greg. Okay. Um, and you went to undergrad? Like, So to, how'd you get mm-hmm. to Dallas? Yeah, so I went to Villanova University. Ah. And then from Villanova go Nova, University. Go Cats. Mm-hmm, yep, go Cats. Um, from Villanova, I joined the ACE program, Alliance for Catholic Education. Uh, it's a program run out of the University of Notre Dame. It's a teaching program you know, a lot like Teach for America. And so they're in about 30 different dioceses around the country. And they said, congratulations, you've been accepted. Um, My email just went off. There you go. Yeah, maybe that was even Ace emailing us to say, hey, here's an application. Boom, there it is. Uh, But when I applied, they said, congratulations, you've been accepted. You'll be teaching in Dallas. And I said, okay. Cool. So I taught for five years um, at Bishop Dunn. And then after five years of teaching in the diocese, I just recognized that I had more adult friends here in Dallas than I did back home. Mm. I knew more priests here in Dallas than I did back home, knew more churches here in Dallas, and figured this is probably where God is calling me to be his priest. Yeah. So interesting, before we jump into the questions today uh, with Greg as our expert today, um, isn't that an interesting thing we've both probably encountered of the the Northeast spirituality? Mm-hmm. One of like, <laughs> you talk to somebody and, and they're a hundred percent, oh, I'm, I'm Catholic, you know, to the bone. Mm-hmm. And it's like, mm, are you? And I feel like the Catholics in this area, I don't know. I don't know. What has been your perception on that? You know what I'm trying to say? It's like the cultural Catholicism, I feel is so much more prevalent in the Northeast than it is, for, uh, at least what I've witnessed in Diocese of Dallas. Right. Similar or no? Yeah, I think so. I, You know, it's that um, everyone has grown up Catholic and grown up within this background, but not necessarily living out the faith in any authentic way, certainly not with any desire for evangelization and mission and yeah. going out and seeking the lost. Um Right. Which, you know, is a caricature. Certainly there are people who have a heart for evangelization, even right. in the Northeast. Um, but I think that here in the Dallas Diocese, there is this this great vigor for evangelization, perhaps because of the, the tradition of the Bible Belt. Yeah. That we sort of, you know, maybe it's this felt competition. Yeah. Um, this fact that, 
not everyone knows and has experienced the Catholic Church, but mm -hmm. in the Northeast, there's a Catholic Church on every block. There's the Italian Catholic Church and the Polish Catholic Church. Yeah, and the German the, one. Yeah, and and those, just yeah. literally at the same intersection. Mm -hmm. um, whereas down here, you know, you can go miles before you see another Catholic Church. There and you so go. So there's this this more obvious need to go out and to evangelize. There you go. All right, well, let's get into it. Today is our question episode, uh, Prodigal and the Priest and Me. It's where we answer your questions that you guys submit. So just so you all know, Greg is coming in blind, coming in hot. I Completely. literally was like, hey, come in here, answer some tough questions. So I won't make them too tough today. Some have been people submitted. Some people have asked me one-on-one, -on -one, different things like that. But We'll start off real easy, Greg, because Father Paul and I, part of the podcast is faith, sports, two friends. Um, so just where do you fall sports-wise? Give me your, like, basketball, football, and yeah, let's start there, the big ones. Basketball, football, um, and baseball. Who do you root for, being from the Northeast, but now you live here? Right. So football, uh, I root for the Green Bay Packers, which makes a ton of sense. Um, <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. So there's no geographic loyalty, right? That was just because when I started watching the NFL was the year that the Packers won the Super Bowl in 1996. Brett so, Favre. Mm -hmm, hopped on that bandwagon and never hopped off, even in the 3-13 and 13 seasons that we hey. had. Um, good job. So, yeah. yeah. They're doing pretty good this yeah. year. Yeah. I mean, they're looking pretty good. Mm -hmm. Prediction. I mean, do you think you think they got a legitimate shot? Super Bowl? Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's a weird year, right? And so if everyone else gets COVID, they're winning, you know? <laughs> no <right>. competition. <laughs> Do you think we will have a Super Bowl? I cannot imagine the NFL being willing to give up that revenue source. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So they will do whatever it takes to have a Super Bowl, even if it means that it ends up looking more like a Pro Bowl with like, you know, let's suppose worst case scenario, tons of guys get sick. Yeah. And they just have to like scrap together whoever's healthy. Yeah. That would be I interesting. I can't imagine us getting to that point. Yeah. I think that we have enough knowledge of how the disease spreads. Yeah. That we'd be able to keep it safe. But if it came down to it, I think that they would rather have the revenue than say, oh, we're just going to cancel it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree with that 100%. Okay. So that's football, Packers, which I'm. Cowboys fans don't like Packers fans, right? Aren't they kind of at odds? Um, Cowboys fans... I, anything I'm going to say is too dangerous to say. Listen, people hate me on this <laughs> podcast, Greg, so can I give them somebody else to hate besides <laughs> me? Because Father Paul plays to their emotions like, I'm for you, and Joey's the you know, Eagles, Northeasterner, yada, yada. But um, yeah, they have kind of have a rivalry. Yeah, I mean, sure. I think... In the 90s, when the Cowboys could not get past the Packers in the playoffs. Mm. Um, and then you have Dez's, you know, quote unquote catch. Um, <laughs> oh, he just brought it up. Oh, boy. There you go. So, okay. So, who do you go for um, basketball, baseball? So, basketball, I do not watch the NBA. I haven't watched the NBA since uh, Jordan retired the first time. <laughs> nice. But you go for the Wildcats, obviously. And yeah, so college yeah. basketball, absolutely Villanova. Um, baseball, so like, I'll watch the Mavs, yeah. but I won't be upset if they Either lose. Way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, baseball, 
uh, I've got a lot of split loyalties. So um, the Phillies, um, yeah. probably the, my family will be shocked to hear this, but I probably go for the Yankees, right? Yeah, like, that's They right, were Greg. all, um, my brothers are all Yankees fans. Uh, my mom's a bit of a Mets fan, but children huh, for the Yankees too. It's like uh, that people don't under, see, yeah, people don't understand that about the Northeast. They're like, well, you live in Jersey, but how can this person be a Yankees fan next door to you be a Phillies fan? But it's all so close. I don't right. think Texans, that's the one thing I don't think they realize is, I mean, geographically, what does it take 27 hours to drive across the state of Texas? Uh, Somebody, that, yeah. And how many states would we travel through? In all the of North them? East? Yes. <laughs> 35 states, and then we're to Texas. So, okay, let's jump into a faith question, Greg. Why do some priests wear cassocks and others don't? So the the don't question is a little bit sloppier, right? But the cassock, even though it looks formal and it feels formal, was the workwear for a priest. Okay. Um, I remember there was one instance where... Uh, we had invited folks into the seminary. Um, and so we had to like clean up the area. I think we just had breakfast. They were doing some meetings. And so we were about to have lunch. And so I'd gone back into uh, the cafeteria to clean up the tables. Mm-hmm. And some volunteers saw me in their cleaning in my cassock and were like, no, 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 don't mess it up. Don't mess it up. Like, we'll clean for you. And I'm like, oh, this is the work. Like, this is the work wear. This isn't the formal wear. This is what I am supposed to do cleaning in. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a part of it. There is, um, right, like after the Second Vatican Council, there was this push away from that more formal look. Um, right. And so that's around that same time you saw a lot of religious, you know, men's community and women's communities going away from wearing habits. Right. And so that's where you start seeing nuns wearing pantsuits instead of the traditional um, habit. And so I think it's that same sort of mindset that has led many priests away from the cassock um, and away from just that idea of it's not as friendly, it's not as welcoming, Mm. but my generation of seminarians and priests recognize that by wearing a cassock or certainly wearing your clerics, you know, the black shirt with the white collar um, is a sign that we are not of this world um, and a sign to the faithful or just to someone who sees us on the street, like, Oh, that's, that man is different for some reason. Right. And if they are familiar with the Catholic church, if they are Catholic, then maybe it can be a reminder of, you know what? It's been a while since I've last received the sacraments. Right. Like I should return to the church. And so a lot of my brothers in the seminary have the strong desire um, to be that living witness. And so a lot of us desire to either wear the cassock fairly regularly yeah. or at least to wear our clerics pretty much all the time. And there's, um, correct me if I'm wrong, aren't, aren't there big Catholic traditions with even the numbers of buttons? They represent things like, mm-hmm. aren't there seven for the wounds of Christ and certain things like that on a cassock? Yes, I do not know them. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> there you go. We'll, yeah. we'll submit that question next but time. I don't it? think right? it's five wounds of Christ oh. um, traditionally. I'm not aware of seven. 
Um, there you go. I just made up a lie. Right. It's the two hands, uh, the two feet, two feet, and then the wound at the in his side. Oh, a, a wasn't of, the crown of thorns didn't count as a wound too? No, I mean, that would be like dozens, right? Because it's just little yeah. thorns. Maybe it was like 33 wounds of Christ. Mm-hmm. There you go. Or maybe it's five buttons for the five wounds of Christ. Right. Or yeah. are there... Yeah, so that's an interesting mm-hmm. thing. But so why... Well, let me back up and then follow up question and say, so do you see yourself when you become a priest, for the most part, when you're in public, maybe you're flying to a family member's, you know, baptism Mm -hmm. you're not you're not celebrating it as Mm -hmm. a priest but you're just going as a family member right will you travel in your clerics yes yeah i think just that opportunity for evangelization i mean if i can hear um the last time that i flew i saw a priest giving the sacrament uh, of reconciliation to a person in the airport just because they could see they you know could see him in his clerics Mm -hmm. they asked him and just to be able to offer the sacrament anywhere, right. right, would just be so beautiful and such a an important opportunity to be Christ for someone else to act in persona Christi, and I wouldn't want to give that up. Yeah. Do you? Um, okay. Well, let's go to the next question. So John submits that. Um, you know, in a past episode, we talked a little bit about art and different things like that, architectural. Um, significances in churches. Um, it made him reflect about how European churches are filled with wonderful works of art, um, sculptures, all of that. Why do a lot of our mo- modern churches not commission as nice artwork like this anymore? Any thoughts on that? Yes, I absolutely would love to see uh, more artwork commissioned. I am grateful that in the 70s, 80s, and early 90s that we did not commission more art because a lot of art that was happening (laughs) during those decades was not beautiful, right? A lot of it uh, was trying to be too modern. Right. And, I mean, I apologize if any of our listeners were artists from the (laughs) 70s to 90s. Um, I'm sure your art was beautiful, uh, Stanley, but the rest of them... Um, just really rough-looking artwork. I mean, a lot of our parishes in the Diocese of Dallas were built during that time, and our architecture in a lot of our parishes right. does not remind me of heaven. Right. Um, so I'm grateful that many of our parishes are a little bit more Spartan in terms of decoration, but I would love to see more of that happening. I think that part of it is that here in the United States— we have been very much influenced by Protestant churches, mm-hmm. and Protestant churches have, again, painting with a broad brush here, have this movement against artwork, mm. um, almost an iconoclastic, um, you know, wanting to destroy the artwork, wanting to destroy these representations, and responding only to like that spiritual God. Yeah. rather than anything that is too sacramental, too much of a sign pointing us to him, yeah. um, right? I th- the language of we have just one mediator, which is true and which is biblical and important. Um, we have one mediator, the person, the man, Jesus Christ. Um, but even you know a beautiful crucifix 
can help to deepen our relationship and our meditation upon the mystery of the incarnation. You know, a, um, a sculpture of the Pieta, a painting mm-hmm. of um, the various saints within the Catholic tradition. All of those can be beautiful teaching opportunities. I had the opportunity last summer, uh, summer 2019, to go to the Holy Land, and we were able to visit um, one of the um, one of the Orthodox churches, and just everything, every square inch is covered by artwork. And our tour guide, who is a member of the Orthodox Church, said he was so grateful that this was his church because anytime that his kids got distracted, he knew that they were still learning the faith because right. they had no choice but to. Whatever was distracting them, wherever they turned, yeah. they still had the opportunity to read the scriptures in a sense by gazing upon the artwork. Yeah. So most beautiful church in the United States you've been to? Um, I'm a big fan, especially because I have easy access to it while I'm studying at, in Washington, D.C., um, the Basilica of Our Lady. It's awesome. Right there in D.C. I mean, there's dozens of little side chapels, all dedicated to different um, apparitions of Our Lady. Um, So that's really powerful. We Um, would go there each year for the March for Life through Franciscan and all that. And Mm -hmm. obviously growing up in the Northeast also when my family went to D.C., um, beautiful chapel. Mm -hmm. I also like the cathedral in St. Paul, Minnesota. I don't know if you've ever checked out that one, but very beautiful. Um, Were you going to say another one? Yes, the... uh, um, cathedral in St. Louis, Missouri, where Father Paul is. Well, I don't know if he's in the, if in he's the in the cathedral. cathedral. Uh, I think he's uh, on a golf course. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Celebrating Our Lady of the Greens. Yes. Um, but if you ever have the opportunity to go to St. Louis, their new cathedral. I mean, it's now I think like a hundred years old, right. um, but it's still the newer of the two. Their old one still exists. It's still standing. Um, I'm not sure if it is still like a functioning parish, a functioning church, mm-hmm. um, or if it's just like a, a landmark, but the new one is stunning. Um, they finally, um, I think in the last five years, finished all of their basilica, or not basilicas, mosaics. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it had been a long time coming because they wanted to fill up sort of like those Orthodox churches I was talking about they wanted to fill up every square inch right and now they finally have and mm-hmm. so every every stone helps to tell that story of uh, god and his salvation nice okay so one more one or two more from listeners and then i'll go rapid round on you i just oh. want to like pe- pepper you with some questions so um so one listener asks is this is anonymous so they didn't leave their mm-hmm. name but <laughs> yeah. I think I know Anonymous. Anonymous. Um, they ask, is it wrong to participate in Halloween things like trick-or-treating or um, Halloween parties and celebrations? So, right. I mean, there's, it can be wrong, right? It depends. There are things that are very much in the occult that have been roped in with the celebration of Halloween. Right. Halloween also has the opportunity. Um, it's all Hallow's one of its Eve, yeah, right? Yeah. right. One of its traditions is that it is 
in preparation for um, All Saints and then All Souls Day following after, right? It's the eve of um, of All Saints Day. And so it's an opportunity for us, theoretically, to reflect on just that purging away of evil to celebrate the, the lives of the saints. Um, so it could be an opportunity for all of that, or it could be a dangerous encounter with the dem- demonic, depending on what your own particular focus is. Um, right. So it's kind of like what I hear you saying is definitely um, it is situational depending on what they're going through each particular family taking your kid around to get candy we're not condemning that right but a lot of people go to the far extent of saying yeah i'm gonna look up stuff to invite spirits into my you know world and life and that type of stuff and so just being prudent with your decisions yeah and there's i think that there's something within us that desires that finds being scared like fascinating right it does get our adrenaline pumping and you know doing something like a a seance or a ouija board right that stuff is real do not seek it out the that is just opening up the door for the enemy for the evil one to enter into your life um i had the opportunity while i was up in washington dc at the seminary to work uh, with their exorcist um for the diocese of for the archdiocese of washington dc whoa i mean he's um he's a pastor of a parish um and so that was the parish that was assigned to to do catechetical ministry and so did you go on calls with him no i never oh um, man come on but i can tell you from that experience that evil spirits are real and they are not to be trifled with, right? Yeah. In no way should any of us seek out like, oh, well, I'm just curious. Like, don't be curious. Yeah. Like, <laughs> not about that. Right. Um, be curious is, about the Lord Jesus Christ yeah. and his power and his... <laughs> it is real. It has destroyed many families. Um, yeah, it is not, not to be trifled with. Um, if you have found yourself in any situations, if you've gone to, you know, psychic readers, if you've mm-hmm. played with Ouija boards, like I invite you to, to seek out a priest, um, confess that in the, in the sacrament. Like I don't, it's not necessarily sinful, but very often is, um, yeah, get but some, see, even if it's, guidance, even yeah. if it's venial sin, right? Like welcome the Lord back into your life, allow him to heal whatever may have been damaged. If you, even if you're not aware of anything that has been damaged within your life, within your soul, but re-seek the Lord, seek his healing, seek his love. He is just waiting tirelessly to pour out his love upon you. And so just allow him to do that. Awesome. Okay, so this is kind of a two-part question that I feel like they want to trap us in. So first... Sweet. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. True or false, when a priest hears a confession, he is in persona Christi, so in the person of Christ. It is Christ absolving the sins of the person, not the human priest. So let's take a look at the rite itself and what the priest says. So the priest, when he absolves you of your sins, 
says, I absolve you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. He does not say, you know, may the church absolve you, may Jesus Christ absolve you, but he does say, I absolve you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Um, And so I think it's important for us to recognize that he is saying I. Right. And if he does not say I, then it's like what we had seen, I think. So confession here, um, hopefully all of you can absolve me in some way. (laughs) I have not listened to the podcast, um, but it's my understanding that you guys were talking about baptism at some point. Oh, And right, that that controversy that came up. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yes, um, yes, yeah. The the, the priest who would say, yeah, we baptize you, right? So if if the priest were to skip over or change the words of absolution, there's some concern that the the sacrament would no longer be valid. Um, and so I think it's important for us to recognize what the church is trying to teach us in that. Um, now, unfortunately, I haven't yet studied uh, this sacrament specifically. Mm. So this is not an authoritative teaching right. by any means. Um We'll but issue any corrections. Yeah, it is my on. understanding that it is, um, it is the priest um, acting in conjunction with, or like Christ working through the priest, priest right? Like right. Um, he is, he, Christ, desires that there is a human priest there to offer that absolution, that he will work through the priest and that if the priest were to to disappear Mm -hmm. then we don't have that assurance of that visible sacrament anymore and so so the person wants to lead us in to say yes so that is the person of christ technically forgiving and their follow-up is if it's the person of christ why can't a priest go to himself for confession that's the real question (laughs) they're getting to once again anonymous because People don't have the courage yeah. looking at you, camera. <laughs> right? Shouldn't they just put their name? Why not? Yeah. Yeah. Be Come not on. afraid. Yeah. Be not afraid. So really what they're saying is, okay, well, that is the human element of the priest, though, working in conjunction with the uh, Jesus Christ himself, who is the one for doing the forgiveness, right? Mm-hmm. Why can't they go to themselves, in a sense, for confession? Because that's not allowed. Right. Just yeah, want so to clarify that. Yes, yes, sure. yes. That, that is, is not, not allowed. allowed. Why uh, do they have to go to another priest? I think that we can get some clues to this by looking at Christ's own prayers, right? So Christ prays even though he is God. Um, and so he talks, he is in relationship with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. If the priest were to try to confess to himself, he is no longer acting in relationship. He would be talking one person to the same person. <laughs> right. And so if Christ himself does not talk just to the Son, just to the second person of the Trinity, but he always speaks to the other two persons of the Trinity, mm. then why should a priest only speak to himself, right? He has to speak to another person. Right. That's part of that um, that relationship, that rebuilding what has been 
um, either broken uh, or damaged through his own sins. Right. And so in order to repair a relationship, you need to communicate across a relationship. Yeah. I love it. All right. Wrap it around, Greg. These are just fun questions about you for you. People get to know you and finish out our podcast. Ready? Mm-hmm. You have any tattoos? Nope. Would you ever get a tattoo? No. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, favorite color? Blue. What is one thing you would tell a young man who was thinking about priesthood? I mean, I suppose just be not afraid. Nice. What would you tell one young man who is not thinking at all about the priesthood? Seek the Lord. Um, right? I mean, I was not thinking at all about the priesthood until I started thinking about the priesthood. So nice. Awesome. Thing you're most scared about about being a priest? Uh, confessions in Spanish. Conf- <laughs> nice. Uh, thing you're looking most forward to? About being a priest. Um, Yeah, definitely offering the sacraments um, and being able to minister to people in those moments, like immediately after and immediately before the sacraments, you know, talking with the the parents of the child to be baptized right after their child has been baptized, um, talking with the family of a person whose loved one is dying, Mm. uh, you know, right before administering the anointing of the sick. Yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful gift. Mm-hmm. Um, would you prefer to have to bake 100 cakes or eat by yourself five full cakes? Bake 100 cakes. Really? Yeah. Oh I have diabetes, <laughs> and so that would Do kill you? me. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Type one? Yep. Oh, okay. There you go. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, Unless we're talking about like five mini cupcakes, I don't know if that counts as a cake. <laughs> no, I think it, I think the question was meant full, but okay, great. Um, and then, uh, oh, that just totally derailed my uh, <laughs> last thought. Okay, so last thought is um, one meal left on this earth. What would you have? Uh, assuming my father's still around, his chicken parmesan and then whatever else he wants to add in as a side maybe some like roasted broccoli or roasted brussels sprouts along with that chicken parm you know a nice pasta Uh, with his homemade sauce nice yeah one thing you if you could change anything about the catholic church what would one thing be if i could change anything about this catholic church here at saint anne's it would be to include more artwork (laughs) there you go okay I like how you derailed that a little <laughs> bit, Greg. So good one. Um, any last comments you have? Thoughts? Pardoning words? Pardoning words? Yeah. yeah. I'm self you. <laughs> oh, I should have something. Um, yeah, just uh, people of the interwebs, uh, pray for me. Pray for my brother seminarians. Uh, it's a, I think that we would like to believe that the crises are behind us. Um, but you continue to hear new scandals uh, coming out of the Vatican, coming out of various dioceses. So pray for us. Um, if, if we want the church to be holy, we need holy and committed priests who are willing to sanctify and help transform our laity. So I pray for you. I ask that you pray for me. Amen. Um, and together, let's 
let's continue to help build up the church here on earth. Amen. Amen. Greg Scatini, thank you for joining us on Prodigal and the Priests. We want to tell our listeners, take care, God bless, and make sure to check us out on YouTube or submit your questions, prodigalpriests at gmail.com or stamparish.org slash PTP. Take care. God bless. Thanks all. <laughs>